0: Welcome back to the podcast. I have a very good friend today. Her name is Katie Belfie. She has been a student on my retreats for many years. If you're a teacher and you're listening to this, you're going to know she's like one of the students who just is super chill, fun and chill. One of my favorites and her sort of genre, milieu, if you will is that she's a resilience and readiness consultant. Now, I ask you, who do we need more right now than this human? Katie is committed to cultivating a culture of preparedness in our society. She was once an attorney for FEMA, which is the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Is that right? You got it. Oh, amazing. And you were an emergency manager with a side gig making custom crystal. Mala beads, necklaces, and mala bracelets, and you were teaching yoga. I love this about you. You have, you say in your bio that you've often felt like you were traveling two completely divergent career paths, but now, after years of sort of allowing your passions to coexist, they have finally converged in a practice that delivers readiness through a unique lens of self care, well being, and holistic resilience. Welcome, welcome, welcome. To the podcast,
1: thank you, Miss Elena Brower. Oh, I love you. Oh my God, I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. You've you, Katie has already talked on my mentorship membership uh, platform about readiness and resilience, and this is really just a deeper dive. Let's say you have worked with clients that range from individuals to institutions, and your aim is to rewrite the preparedness narrative from one that elicits fear to one that empowers. This is the most important part. Having just gone through basically six months of preparing my home, my family, assets, energy, everything for whatever might happen, I would love to talk to our listener, Katie, about what it means to be
1: prepared both literally and figuratively to start. Yeah. And that's such, that's such an important place to start. And, you know, on our, during our last conversation, we kicked it off with defining resilience and this is how I like to start when I'm working with a client. And, you know, I take it from the perspective of if you want to make preparedness truly personal, you need to start with understanding your unique needs and vulnerabilities. So in the biz, in emergency management, we conduct something called a risk assessment. If we're working for a company, a state, a city, anybody, we assess their risks before we can tell them how to prepare. And so to do that for yourself, I encourage people to do the inquiry that you set up defining what does resilience mean to you. But I add a layer to that And I ask my clients to define disaster for yourself. What are the things in your life that if they were to happen would significantly derail you and would impede your ability to live your life the way you want to? And doing this allows people to approach preparedness from a place of not just thinking about a hurricane or a winter storm, but really considering their their resilience holistically, and so that could be the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, uh, an illness in the family, you know, a, a, a major damage to a specific asset, whatever it is that's unique to you and your family. That's step one.
0: Okay, so if that's step one, and we define resilience, we we defined it loosely in the in the membership platform as you know not just preparedness but a, a a way that we sort of move from this rigid fearful i got to have this this much food and this much money and this much everything over to okay what does it feel like to be flexible pliable bendable uh, agile you know movable these are the things that we started to think about and it takes the takes the urgency out. It takes the, the, like I said, the fear out. I would love to know how you work. Let's say our listener is going, Oh shit, I'm not actually prepared for anything. What does that even mean? You know, maybe they're sort of making fun or judging in their minds, the friends of theirs who have gotten, you know, three to six months worth of food in their house. Like where do you begin in, in real terms?
1: Yeah. And I think, um, for a lot of people, it's, it's more of a hurt, a psychological hurdle that they have to get over for themselves. And this is not their, of their own doing neurologically. We are wired to have an optimism bias and believe that bad things aren't really going to happen to us. And so for some of us, you know, it's, it's, more easy to overcome than others. So like you're, you're saying the friends that are out there prepping and building their stockpile. And then there are plenty of others that would rather stick their heads in the sand and plug their ears and say, this isn't going to happen. I don't want to think about it. Or like my friends on that are more metaphysically inclined who say, I don't want to talk about it because I don't want to manifest this. And so it's a real honest self-inquiry that needs to happen when you're starting this work to assess what your mind state is. What is is the monologue that's going on in your brain when you're thinking about preparedness? Is it fear that's shutting it down immediately? Is Is it fear that's triggering your ego to say, I got this, I don't need to worry about it? Is it something else entirely? Is it an experience of a trauma in the past that's causing you to just shut down because you're not equipped? To handle what comes up with thinking about that specific trauma, um, and and so it's it's really a very personal, quiet starting place of what's going on in my brain, what's going on in my body, and what's the emotional and physical response I'm having in just even starting to have this conversation, because what I've encountered is years and years of working in this field and watching this information come from places like FEMA and the Red Cross, which by the way, are are doing a great job. They're doing their job. But what I've watched is people systematically shut down to this information until it's too late. The time they're looking for it is after they already need it. And so what I see as my mission is really not just reframing that narrative, but really reframing people's experience of that narrative and the way they think about it for themselves. Okay. All right. So
0: let's stay practical for a moment for our listener. Let's say, okay, my listener is now realizing that they're not really prepared. They need, you know, let's say three months worth of food, they need to have copies of all of their critical documents. They don't really have a backup source of power. You know, a a few things are now starting to like make it, make themselves plain. Where do you start? What's the most important thing to start with?
1: So I like to use an acronym for, for the people that are sort of like, okay, I, you know, I just want to just give me the cut and dirty. What do I do to get prepared? So I use an acronym, SIMPLE. And these are the things that if you prioritize these things in developing a plan, in building a go bag, in creating a stay stockpile, if you consider these things, you'll be in a good in good shape. You won't necessarily have everything you need, but if you're if you're looking to quickly prepare simple acronym s safety and shelter. think about where you're going to be, how you're going to stay safe. and part of that consideration is also, how are you going to evacuate? When are you going to do it? And where are you going to go? I, information. Where are you getting your information? How are you getting it? How will you get it if cell service is disrupted? And what is the information that you need to have with you? This is where you're thinking about your insurance cards, your any, you know, wills, deeds, any kind of information like that, identification, et cetera. M, medical First aid kit, any medication you or anyone in your family might need, consider prescription as well as over-the-counter. Also think about pets. P, provisions, that's your food and water. Again, the standard recommendation is 72 hours. That's been bumped up to more like five days. So if you're thinking about food and water that you are really intending to be prepared, that's really what you should be thinking about. Uh, For L, that's your loved ones. This is the part where you think about who is looking to you for help during an emergency. Who's looking to you that you might not necessarily be thinking about, like that elderly neighbor that knows that you're an emergency manager? (laughs) And who might you be looking to for help or information? And E is your energy. And so this is thinking about where does my energy come from? How might it be disrupted? What are the things that I need emergency backup power for? And how am I getting it? Keep it simple.
0: Right. Right. Okay. So to our listener, this is now very scary to you. Please don't worry. Just take one thing at a time. Go for I want to just talk about a couple of practical things that you and I both do, which is every time you go to the supermarket, pick up a couple of cans. Yes. You no. Know, sort of get whatever's on sale that you really use. What else do you do?
1: Uh, make it a habit to refill your gas tank when it gets to about half full. Try to avoid letting it get to empty. Make it a habit to, if you go to the ATM, take out some extra cash and store it in various places. I always like to keep some in my car, some in my go bag, some in my house. I also keep a spare credit card um, in in those locations, you know, if that's possible. It may be that you can't use it, but it's, it's always good to have it if you can. Um, I also like to just always keep an emergency go bag that's sort of like the reduced version of my go bag packed and very accessible. So I have some version of a go bag with me all the time in my purse, in my car, wherever I am for the things that are truly critical to me. So what what does that
0: mean? What's your little mini go bag look like?
1: So I will always have some first aid kit with me. Um, and for me that's that's your basic sort of emergency kit with a- antibacterial, a- uh Bacitracin. Um <laughs> I'm like I'm dumbing down what my emergency kit actually is because I also have a trauma kit in my car. Uh but in my purse, it's really just, you know, band-aids, antiseptic, tweezers, and you know, maybe maybe a small thing of emergency burn gel because I am one of Elena's students my emergency go bag also includes various essential oils. (laughs) Oh, yes. Very smart. Of course. Um, And I will always have with me, no matter where I'm going, some kind of backup power for my phone, especially. I, I like those little battery packs that have a solar panel on the outside. I keep one of those charged in my house all the time. Um, I also am a big fan of if you don't have a generator or you don't have the space for a generator, those portable battery packs that are also solar powered, um, that could really help you stay afloat in instances where you just need to power a few devices.
0: All right. So that feels pretty good and pretty basic, uh, manageable, let's say. Your larger go bag. Mm -hmm. The one that you're not carrying with you all the time. Talk about that and what's in there.
1: So to build uh, my larger go bag, I like to rely back on that simple acronym. And so things that I'm thinking about for safety, it's, I think about how do I stay seen, dry, heard, and sheltered? So I'm thinking about a headlamp or reflectors, some, some kind of emergency blanket, Uh, If possible, an emergency shelter, like a a small tent that you could throw in there. Um, If you are somebody who is trained to use weapons, this is where you might have a knife of some kind, Um, but more thinking about that from like a hunting and provisioning sense. Um, But my first rule of creating a go bag is you are not allowed to have anything in it that you are not familiar with or comfortable using. So that's my shtick about the weapon front. Um, personal protection, that's a whole other conversation that we have, but the same applies shouldn't be carrying anything that you're not prepared to use. Sure. Um, for info, I've got my, um, NWS radio in there. So that's going to be the red cross radio that is solar powered. It's crank powered. It's going to allow me to connect to the NWS radio stations that will ensure that I'm getting up to date weather reports for wherever I am. That's assuming that my cell won't work. I also have an extra battery pack for my cell in the go bag, assuming it does. And then all my emergency documents, copies of those also now make sure that's updated to include, uh, vaccination records if you're vaccinated, um, and any, any other sort of medical records that you might need to prove that you are entitled to specific medication or, or anything like that. Um, Medical, that's going to be the same thing, just any medications you might need, plus your first aid kit. Provisions in a go bag are going to be super light because this is something you have to carry. So I do have some emergency water, and I'll always have some very dense caloric food, like, um, you know, almost like those jerky bars or something like that. Um, And plus a life straw and some iodine tablets in case I need to be cleaning water myself.
0: Will you just um, quickly uh, the Life Straw? I have I have a few of them in my go bag, but just for our listener, will you describe the Life Straw and the iodine tablets?
1: Yes. So a Life Straw is going to be a, it's a charcoal filter that you can take anywhere with you, and it's suitable for a single person to use, just sort of immediate use to uh, drink water that should remove most. Contaminants. Um, iodine added to that water will help with that contamination factor. And these are things that are really sort of worst case scenarios. I mean, this is when you, the only access to water that you have is water that's potentially dirty or contaminated. And so you want these things on hand. Um, you know, it's in this day and age, thankfully, that's going to be a real severe worst case scenario. We are likely to have access to water in most instances, but it's still important to know what those things are and they're super light, relatively affordable and, you know, makes sense to have them in the worst case scenario. Yeah.
0: All right. Great. Uh, that's super helpful. Let's talk a little bit about the, when you, when we talk about storing food,
1: Mm -hmm. I
0: think this is an important conversation. I want to cover energy, uh, another source of energy, but storing food, teach us a little bit about how that works in our homes, cans, what, just teach us like what you do. And so we can all get a, a little bit of an idea.
1: So the one thing that you want to be mindful of is where you're storing your emergency food and what the temperature changes look like in that space. Especially if you're storing things that are in plastic bottles, like water, for example. This is one that most people forget about, is that water in plastic bottles, when exposed to heat or direct sunlight, is leaching chemicals into your water. Um, And sure, in an emergency, you're going to want to drink that water, Um, but still, you'd much rather drink safe water that isn't potentially contaminated with anything. So being mindful of where you're storing things, cool, dark locations for the most part are your best bet. Um, the most important thing you can do as you're stockpiling is establish a, a, um, a system for yourself, a schedule for yourself to check in on this stockpile. So if you are someone like me, who's not going out and shopping for your stockpile on a regular calendar, but is instead sort of building it ad hoc with your weekly shops, you want to have a system in place that ensures that you're checking that stockpile at least twice a year. Just going through checking expiration dates and making sure you're getting rid of anything that has reached its expiration date or is gone past it. And then the final thing I'm going to say about your stockpile is the most common mistake with stockpiling that people make besides not checking expirations is not restoring them once they've been utilized. So in, you know, last February, we had the frost in Texas and people were absolutely hitting that emergency stockpile because you couldn't get to grocery stores or they weren't open. And a lot of people I'm sure use those emergency supplies, but often neglect to restore them after they've done so. So going back around and restoring what you've used and then getting right back on that rotation of checking everything twice a year.
0: All right. That all feels very logical and fair. I don't know why I'm getting so specific and granular, but what are the, what are the main, main canned goods that you are stockpiling? I'm just curious.
1: Um, I have to be honest, my go-to more, I always have canned soup. I think that's, I think that's a vestige from my, my childhood. My mom was always a big canned soup for emergencies woman, but personally I tend more towards like dried legumes because I feel better about storing them. They typically have a longer shelf life and things like lentils and beans. I know I'm also getting a lot of really dense nutrition that can carry me pretty far.
0: Got it. Okay. Let's talk about energy. Just before I got turned on to the fact that you were doing all this work, another friend of mine who's very preparedness oriented, let's say, uh inspired me to go to goalzero.com and get a solar power generator as a backup for my home. This was an expensive endeavor even more expensive was the hiring of the electrician to wire the home for said eventuality when we would have to plug in said generator to the home. And which, circus, which circuits rather would you like to cover with your generator? So interesting to figure all of that out. Tell us about the various different generators that one should or could
1: have around and what are the advantages? Um, this is a this is a great question it's also highlighting something that i i really think is important to address is just you know when we approach resilience and preparedness we're not all starting at the same starting point point. and so this is why you know expecting a sort of checkbox approach or you know one step solution is never going to happen because it it's just it's just a part of life not everyone's going to be able to afford a generator And it is an expense and it it can be very costly. And, And quite frankly, it even depends on where you live. If you live in an apartment, a generator is not going to be an option. So when you are making these considerations for yourself around energy, it's important to understand your power needs and really sort of pare down to what is your emergency power needs. You don't need your TV. You don't need four computers. You need your cell phone in most instances, and that might be it. You know, you, you with with lights, you can you can really do well with um, with lanterns and battery powered light that you don't necessarily need a generator for. If you are in very hot or cold climates, that's you know that's where the where the consideration gets a little bit more hairy, and you need to start thinking about that as an emergency power. Um, requirement. But once you have identified what your emergency power needs are, determining what the best type of generator is for you depends on where you live and what's available to you. You being in Santa Fe, you know, or any place that's very, very sunny, solar power generator is going to be great. For people in the Northeast, maybe less so. Um, And so, you know, there are other options. Natural gas power generators can be great a great option if you do have natural gas to your property. You can also have a gas-powered generator that you can buy gas for. You can actually bury a tank and have gas on the property. You can also rely on more of the battery pack generator that I mentioned before, that is, is really more than just a battery pack, it's, it's sort of a mini generator. And a lot of these mini generators come with solar panels as well as plugs. For powering by AC/DC current, so you have a lot of options to power this thing, and then you have many outlets to power different devices, you know, sort of on the on the back end, on the receiving end. So there are plenty of options out there. I will say that um, the sort of to-go battery pack is going to be your cheapest, followed by a natural gas power generator that you can uh, just attach to an existing gas line, followed by a gas power generator that you have to bring in gas for followed by the solar generator. And I guess another option that we haven't talked about is not a solar generator, but a solar battery if you are someone with solar power on your house, um, I know a lot of people that are installing solar now are putting the battery in just because it's, it's a good practice for you and it helps you put more energy back to, into the grid. But it's also something to consider as part of what you're doing towards advancing your preparedness because you will have that solar battery available to you should you lose power.
0: What's the best source for a solar battery? That's a
1: really good idea. What's the best source for it? As in who, who makes it? hmm
0: i don't know i wonder if goal zero makes those
1: i've heard actually sort of mixed reviews i thought tesla would be the way to go but i've heard mixed reviews about the home solar battery for them um and i was i've been talking to a few different solar providers out here but i haven't identified a, a winner yet
0: okay fair enough Anything that you feel we haven't touched upon that's pretty critical? I feel like we've touched on energy, water, food, go bags, big and small, cash. What else?
1: I mean, I think that the thing that we haven't talked much about is the stuff that you are really doing a lot more to talk about with, with your audience. And that's the the other side of resilience, you know, the way you take care of yourself mentally, physically, spiritually every day plays a part in what you're capable of and what you can do in really stressful situations. So if you have learned how to manage your stress, if you've learned how to use breathing exercises, if you've learned how to identify reactive emotions that are prevalent for you and how to cope with them, all of these things actually come into play tremendously when you're dealing with an emergency. And this is why my coaching and, and my message is really that it's, it's not just about the kit. I'm much more focused on the capabilities that you're cultivating every day than the commodities that you're putting in a bag. Because at the end of the day, that go bag is going to mean nothing if you're paralyzed with fear because you haven't done anything to address your stress response.
0: Hmm. A really good point. I was talking in the membership too. I think it's worth reiterating here. I watched a, of all things, a TikTok by a guy called Michael Drummonds D-R-U-M-M-O-N-D-S. Thank you, Chloe, for turning me on to him. She sent me this one day, I don't even think I've looked at him since, but this one day he said, you know, when it's, it's not about asking yourself what you want to manifest. It's about asking yourself how you want to be experiencing yourself. And I feel like this is very profound in terms of resilience. How do I want to be experiencing myself as a calm, serene, human effective and efficient in the face of chaos planning as well as I possibly can, but realizing nothing is perfect, committed to being prepared, but knowing that I will never be fully prepared um, for whatever is to come. And I really appreciated that. And I'm bringing it out here in the podcast because I think it's a worthwhile consideration for our listener Rather than thinking about what you want to manifest, what reality you want to manifest, which already is such an overused word, ask, How do I want to experience myself in this context with regards to this particular matter, whatever it happens to be? I swear that has helped me get through some pretty rough moments of late with uh, a level of presence that I, you know, could
1: only have hoped for. Yeah. And I think it's extremely applicable. I think just training that present moment awareness, that alone is a tremendous tool for building your resilience. Because if you're faced with a disaster, the worst thing you can do is go down the rabbit hole of anticipating what comes next You know, what's the next terrible thing that's going to happen? And what's the worst case scenario? What you want to be able to do is stay in that present moment to maintain enough clarity to make difficult decisions with usually imperfect information and to, you know, develop a course of action based on what's real, not what you're worried about happening. Yeah.
0: It's a great point.
1: I want to
0: also finally share with our listener about your recoup, which I think is such a great, ridiculous, perfect name for what you're doing. Um, how How did you give rise to this? Where does it live, and what is it meant to be doing for us?
1: it's um it's it's on its way into the world. It is um, it's being birthed as we speak. Um, it's the resilience cooperative. And Recoup came about um, because, you know, I think I like to think about resilience in terms of we are resilient by nature. We are descendants of survivors and we are entitled to this resilience as, as part of our birthright. But that the world we live in today has made us very comfortable and it's allowed us to forget some of that resilience. And so it's twofold. You know, I want us to recoup what is ours and what we deserve, and I want us to recuperate and get past and get over and heal from everything we have experienced to date in order to come out more resilient than we were before. And so the cooperative is intended to become a community where we can all work together to restore and recoup that resilience that we're entitled to, but also help each other recuperate and continue to grow and advance to become collectively more prepared and more resilient.
0: And I think lastly, first of all recoup is spelled r e c o o p and that will come through this world sometime soon. We're recording this it's towards the end of the year 2021 but it won't be aired until probably mid spring 2022. So You'll let me know a little bit behind the scenes, our listener. You're going to let me know, Katie, when you're ready for this to be launched. And by that time, Recoup will be alive. Perfect. Yeah, that feels really good. Anything else that you would like to touch upon before we close, my girl?
1: Um, I just I think one other thing that I just want to encourage people to do, you know, I, I always forget to say this, but if if you can do one thing to advance your resilience today, to become more prepared today. We talked a lot about practical details. I think the number one thing you could do is have a conversation within your household, with your loved ones, with the people that you're closest to about preparedness. And it doesn't need to cover everything. You can literally just start having a conversation about one scenario that you're thinking about and just walk through that scenario and let everybody at the table be a part of the conversation. Let people say what they're afraid of. Let people say that's never going to happen. Let people start bringing these conversations up more often, because the only way this muscle becomes one that we have at the ready is if we start using it more often. And that's the way we're going to do it.
0: And dare I add, don't, freak out on your family members who are wanting to put their head in the sand. It's just a coping mechanism. And just like with any other thing that you've become good at, whether it's a musical instrument or yoga practice or writing, whatever, you had to spend a fair amount of time considering the possibility that you could do this thing. (laughs) And then you had to practice doing this damn thing. And you had to practice through really hard moments where you could barely do it and felt downright inept until suddenly one day it feels like, okay, you know, I can handle this conversation and I can handle this task, this next task, and then the one after it and start to move myself in the right direction. So go easy on your family members if they are still on the side of WTAF are you talking about, you know, and let them be and then bring it up again in a couple more weeks. That sound good? That's a great tip. Yeah. All right, my sister, truly love you. Really appreciate the level of dedication and clarity that you have with this. To our listener, this is not about scaring you. It's not about freaking out. It's not about some weirdo conspiracy theory or anything like that. This is just about being prepared for anything, anytime, every time. And I really appreciate the work that you're doing in the world, Katie. Thank you so much, Elena. Thanks for having me. You bet. Talk again soon. AG1 for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus. And longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day. Far less expensive and definitely less time consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one year supply of immune boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.